There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And Greg, here we are in our first episode of our second year of the show. Right on. We got a lot of episodes under our belt and it's hard to believe it's been a full year since we started, but we're looking forward to the next year. Episode 52 now. So last week we went through some of the highlights from the previous 52 weeks as hindsight is 2020, Greg. Oh, a good one. But today we're pleased to have Ryan Ackers from GBL joined the show as our guest. Ryan is Vice President, Business Development and Client Relations at GBL and has become one of Western Canada's experts on individual pension plans and retirement compensation arrangements, something that we're going to talk to Ryan about today. He helps business and professional corporation owners between BC and Manitoba retire wealthier and mitigate corporate tax along the way. That sounds pretty good. So Ryan completed his executive MBA at the Ivy Business School well, also, Greg, building the Calgary Petroleum Club Scotch Whiskey Program. I don't know if that's at the same time as his studies. We'll, but. we'll be delving into that a little bit as well, I hope. Yes. So, Ryan, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Well, it's great to have you, Ryan. And so, just to get started, tell us your story. Like, how did you end up where you are today? I started my career actually working with CIBC in the special products group. So, working with unique products as I started my career, I ended up moving into headhunting where I helped launch a couple of business with Canada's largest recruitment firm. And that's what got me out to Calgary. So I was born and raised in small town, Ontario and lived in Toronto for a few years. And I got moved out to Calgary with a former employer. And a couple of years after that, I was recruited to come join GBL. So it was the opportunity to work with unique products again and help kind of grow a business that isn't quite as well known as other businesses. Just for the listeners, what does GBL stand for? So GBL stands for Gordon B. Lang and Associates. Gordon B. Lang being our founder who founded the company back in 1995. Right on. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about what GBL does? So GBL, our whole reason for being is to empower business owners from a retirement and tax standpoint. So we've since 1995, been the largest provider of individual pension plans and retirement compensation arrangements in Canada. We're headquartered here in Calgary. We have an office in Toronto as well. So we service the country from coast to coast. We also offer a few other products as well for business owners, such as fair market valuations of life insurance for times when they need to move policies between corporation to corporation or corporation to personal hands, health benefit plans and defined contribution and things like that. Well, listen, I think today we're going to focus in on a couple of the items you mentioned, specifically the individual pension plan and the retirement compensation arrangement. And so just for our listeners, when we talk about individual pension plans, we'll be probably using IPP as the acronym, just for simplicity, and RCA for the retirement compensation arrangement. So first of all, Ryan, what are IPPs and RCAs and how do they differ from each other? Yeah, so I'll start with the IPP. 
So the IPP, we like to refer to it as a supercharged RRSP for business owners and incorporated professionals. So it, in a lot of ways, acts very similarly to an RRSP, though we have some added features. So with an IPP, for example, I like to say it does three things for most people and four things for some. Number one, it lets you put more into it than you can with a traditional RRSP. Number two, every single dollar that goes into the IPP is sponsored by the business owner's corporation and is therefore tax deductible by the business owner's corporation. Number three, we've got some risk mitigation. So the IPP assets are held in trust off the corporate books and are therefore creditor protected. And then in some cases, we get some pretty unique estate planning as well, such as the ability to pass money to the next generation without having to go through the estate. So it's really like a supercharged RRSP for business owners. Now, the RCA is, we as an actuarial firm, it blows our hair back, but we like to refer to it as a supercharged IPP. So the RCA allows for, in most cases, quite a bit more funding room than an IPP would allow for. And we really see the RCA used in specific circumstances. So if a business owner sets up an IPP and needs a bit more funding room, then we can set up an RCA to be able to get them some more room. It's also great in special situations. So if somebody's coming into a large sum of money, for example, through an executive severance or through golden handcuffs, if a company were to set up a retirement allowance for a key person, we can set up an RCA to kind of hold on to those assets. And then the individual can draw down as they see fit from the RCA. Let's dive in a little bit deeper into the IPPs. So you say it's like a supercharged RRSP. And so let's talk about that. You say there's the ability to contribute more to an IPP than to an RRSP. Can you give us some numbers to show us how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So with an RRSP, it doesn't matter your age. Up until age 71, you can put 18% of your earnings into it up to a certain maximum every year. So this year, that's about $28,000 you can put into an RRSP. Where the IPP differs is the percentage of your earnings you can put into it isn't the flat 18% as you get older. It actually increases over time. So this year, the difference of an IPP versus an RRSP contribution, we're looking at about $46,000, you can put into the IPP versus about $28,000 you can put into the RRSP. Now, like I mentioned with the IPP, the percentage you can put in increases over time. So that number that I gave you for the IPP is for a 65-year-old, but still for Anybody over the age of 38, you can put more into the IPP than you can the RRSP. Okay. So many business owners might already hold an RRSP. And so let's say their companies decided they wanted to start an IPP. Then is that totally separate then that you would stop contributing to an RRSP personally when the IPP is set up? Exactly. So you're essentially making a choice between the RRSP and the IPP. So if you're over 38 years old, the IPP is going to give you more funding room. So you're essentially making a choice between, I guess, the Honda and the Acura, let's say. So we essentially make that choice. We move a portion of the RRSPs into the IPP, and then you fund the IPP going forward every year as opposed to the RRSP. So why, if there's this flexibility to put more money away, why wouldn't everybody do this? It's a great question. I think the biggest reason why more people aren't setting up the IPP is because they just don't know about it. So this is a product that really sells itself. It's just educating people on it and how it works. 
that's what we have to do. So the RRSP applies to a huge population of Canadians, while the IPP really applies to business owners and incorporated professionals. That's a very small portion of the Canadian population in comparison. So we don't see as many companies talking about the IPP as they would the RRSP. We've also seen there's some misconceptions around the IPP as well. So in most provinces, funding's no longer enforced for connected persons. Connected persons being somebody who owns 10% of the shares of the company or more. So it's thought that if you set up an IPP, it is a defined benefit pension plan. The thought is if you set it up, you have to fund it every year, no matter what. As you could probably understand, that's problematic for many business owners, especially those here in Alberta who have fallen victim to the boom bust over the past few years. So things like that, where we kind of educate people on the IPP and things that don't necessarily apply to it. So like in an RSP, for example, if you ran into, I don't know, a cash crunch, like you just mentioned, because things didn't go your way for whatever reason, you have the ability to collapse your RSP and you have to pay tax on the money you take out, but you can access it. Is it the same for an IPP? Not quite. So with the IPP, you don't necessarily have to fund it every year. But once you choose to set up an IPP, the money that is inside of it is meant for your retirement. Now, there are some ways that we can get money out before retirement. So if there is a legitimate case of hardship, we can make an appeal to CRA to have money unlocked from the IPP. And there's always the option to collapse it as well. So if you collapse the IPP here in Alberta, you can collapse it into a lira and unlock half of the assets when you do that. So we've got some options, but for the most part, the IPP is considered to be locked in until retirement. And what is retirement? Is that a specific age or date, or is it relevant to the individual who may choose to retire at a younger age? It depends when you want to retire. So once you start drawing down from the IPP, you can't turn off the taps, but you can retire and either draw down or wait until age 71, at which point you're forced to draw down. Oh, so similar to the RSP converting to a RIF, same age range. Very similar. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between the IPP and the RSP. Yeah. But the IPP is supercharged. You just told us. (laughs) It is. It's a lot more fun. So, And so you touched on that. So what are the options then? Are they exactly the same options you might experience with like a defined contribution pension plan where there's a lump sum and it can be paid out in a variety of different ways to the, I guess, I don't know what do you call them. We call them an annuitant with an RSP. Is it the same for an IPP? Pretty much. Yeah. We refer to them as the plan member. Okay. But yeah, the options with the IPP, you've got three when you decide you want to retire. You can draw your pension down directly from the IPP. So this would be just like your typical defined benefit pension plan that we don't see a ton of these days, but you can draw it down until you pass away. And then when you pass away, depending on what you do when you retire, your spouse can get 66 and two third percent until they pass away, or the IPP assets can roll over into their RRSP. The second option is to collapse it into a lira. And then the third option, we can purchase a life annuity. So we've got a few different things we can do at retirement. We've talked a little bit about, you can see how it's a good benefit to the individual by having a much larger pool of money than they otherwise would have to draw down in retirement. What about the corporation? What are the benefits to the corporation of doing this? Yeah, there's some big corporate benefits. So, I mean, the biggest benefit is the IPP contributions are logged as an expense. That's become increasingly important since tax policy has been changing since 2016, particularly here in Alberta. But 
every dollar that goes into the IPP is tax deductible to the corporation. So in addition to being able to supercharge the plan members' retirement assets, the corporation also gets to get these expenses that help mitigate corporate tax. We're logging the IPP contributions as either a salary expense or a pension obligation. That's reducing our profits and therefore the tax that we pay in the corporation. This has been a big driver of IPPs over the past few years with the passive income rules that have come in. There's a lot of companies that are kind of getting close to that small business deduction grind and the IPPs, just a little added benefit to it has been reducing corporate tax and helping keep them out of that territory of their corporate tax rates jumping up. So tell me, obviously a big part of GBL is the need for an actuary, the involvement of actuaries in in both of these types of plans. So what is the role of the actuary in administration, say, of an IPP? It's kind of like the relationship of the client, the investment advisor, and the accountant. We're kind of like a second accountant that is needed to offer complex products like IPPs. So our actuarial team is going to be responsible for completing the calculations to make sure that you're able to maximize your IPP. We redo those calculations every three years to make sure that the IPP is up to date. We're handling all of the correspondence with CRA, all of the filings that pertain to the IPP and things like that. So we pretty much handle every extra thing that you'd have to handle as the advisor. We do all that. I like to kind of joke around, IPPs are a huge pain in the neck. We take that pain in the neck off your hands so you can enjoy the benefits with your clients. Right on. Well, and it gets to my next question, which is, what would you say are the disadvantages of an IPP? You've touched on one, which might be possibly the complexity. How can something that's supercharged have any disadvantages, Greg? (laughs) You're talking to the sales guy here, but what we can consider to be disadvantages of the IPP, we talked about one of them already, and this isn't a disadvantage for everybody, but the assets in the IPP are locked in until retirement. So if you're an entrepreneur who is expanding your business and you want to be able to access this money, then you're not going to be able to with the IPP. This is really meant to be there so that you have a secure retirement. So that's really what I view to be the downside of the IPP for some people. Another question we get, so the complexity, like I said, we handle all of that. So we guarantee you a smooth experience with the IPP. The last piece is the fees. We often get asked, what are your fees? Why do I want to pay these extra fees for a pension plan? Our fees are deductible and they make your fees deductible as well as the advisor. So typically most clients are revenue neutral when they set up an IPP just from the deductions on the fees alone. So those are kind of the downsides of the IPP if you consider them to be downsides. Once the assets are in the IPP, can they be managed the same way as RSP assets? Like, are they managed by an investment firm or investment advisors like ourselves? Absolutely. We would work with the CM group. We wouldn't hold the assets. You would hold on to the assets. And the rules are very similar to that of an RSP. So the big one is, yeah, you can't have non-arm's length investments. So you can't invest in your own company with the IPP. And you shouldn't have more than 10% in one individual holding. That's prudent investment principles there. Exactly. One thing I just want to understand better, Ryan, is so you set up this IPP, you're able to put away a lot more than in an RSP, and you retire at like the normal retirement age, 65, let's say. So then you start to draw on the IPP as a pension payment or something like that. And let's say hypothetically, you die at 67. What happens to the IPP then? I don't quite get that. 
it depends on what you're doing at the time that you pass away. Hopefully you're having a blast somewhere warm when COVID goes away. But if you're drawing down from your pension when you pass away, then your spouse would get survivorship. So that's the 66 and two third percent of the annual pension payment every year that I mentioned earlier. If you're not drawing down when you pass away, then the IPP assets roll over to your spouse's RRSP. If the spouse is a member of the IPP when you pass away, then your assets would just, they would stay in the IPP and then the spouse would draw those down until they pass away. So there's a few different ways that it can play out depending on your situation. But is there any risk of the value that you put in you or your beneficiaries never being able to access it or does it pass down just like an estate? Yeah, it passes down. So when you set up the IPP, so your spouse, if you have a spouse, is the automatic beneficiary when you pass away. You would assign your beneficiaries after that. So you could say, I'd like for my IPP assets to go through my estate on my death, or you can designate named beneficiaries on death as well. Okay. Excellent. Let's talk about an RCA a little bit then. So tell us about the retirement compensation arrangement and how does that work? Yeah. So the RCA, like I mentioned earlier, we like to call it a supercharged IPP, but it is essentially a tool that typically allows for considerably more funding room than what you would have with an IPP. We like to refer to the IPP as kind of like the supercharged RSP. The RCA is more like kind of like a supercharged TFSA. You're not getting deductions with the RCA. What it's doing is it's allowing you to shelter just a lot more money and you can take it out as you please. You can take that money out as you please. Unlike with the IPP, you've got a set schedule throughout retirement. So the RCA, we really see it used in cases where someone's going to come into a large sum of money or they want to, in the case of a business owner, be able to get more money out of the company and into their retirement assets. When calculating the room for the RCA, Unlike with the IPP, where we use the entire career earnings every year, with the RCA, we're using the top three years of T4 earnings, and we're assuming that average of those three years, and we're assuming that they've earned that average every year that they've worked with the company. So as you can imagine, that creates a pretty big contribution ceiling now for the RCA. So it's really good for cases of executive severance, like I said, instead of taking that severance as income the year that you receive it, you can have it go into the RCA. And I like to kind of use the analogy of a goaltender. So the goaltender can kind of hold on to that money and break it up into smaller parts and give it to you over time. So you're able to have a significant impact on the rate of tax that you pay on that money. So executive severance is a big case. Executive compensation as well is big. So like I said earlier, we can use that for golden handcuffs, we can set up a retirement allowance for key executives and have that money go into the RCA that they can then trickle out over time in amounts that they choose. If you take it out in smaller amounts, you pay less tax on it. That's essentially how the RCA works. You control over your tax rates that you pay. From the company standpoint, when the money is set aside for the RCA, there's no deduction per se that they get at that point. Is that right? The company gets a deduction for all the money that goes into the RCA. Oh, okay. So now tell me, I've done a little bit of reading on it, and there's some issue with regards to how the money is set aside and held. And is there not a CRA aspect to this that is a big part of the plan? There is. So there's the RCA 
it's two accounts. It's not just one account. So we've got an investment account, which the CM group would manage. So that's just like any other investment account. Client puts money into it, you grow it. We also have what's called the refundable tax account, which is like a security deposit that you put on an apartment. And as long as you don't wreck the place, you get that money back at the end of the day. That's essentially what the refundable tax account is. So we've got these two accounts. One of them is growing interest. The other one is not. The other one is held onto in a non-interest bearing account by CRA. So the reason why the refundable tax account is there is to disincentivize not paying the tax that should be paid on the money that's in the RCA. So the way that it works is, if you put, let's say, $100,000 into the RCA, that $100,000 has to be split between the investment account and the refundable tax account evenly. So they always have to be equal. They always have to balance, just like a balance sheet. If you take money out of the RCA, then half of the money from that was taken out, so let's say $10,000 is taken out of the RCA, the refundable tax account has to move $5,000 back to the investment account. Okay. It's just a rebalancing. Exactly. They always have to balance. So if money goes in, you have to give money to the refundable tax account. If money comes out, you have to take money from the refundable tax account. So so given the federal government is obviously part of these programs, both the IPP and the RCA, is there any risk that the government could make changes to the tax code or something that makes these arrangements less valuable than they currently are? There's always a risk that that can happen. Probability-wise, I'd say it's quite low. With the IPP, we're using the same 2% defined benefit formula that's used in federal pension plans and larger company pension plans. We don't see any changes to that. With the RCA, it's been around since the 80s. CRA is holding on to half the money that goes into it to make sure there's no tax avoidance happening. So will we see changes to these plans? Maybe. For example, there was a change to the IPP back in 2011 where CRA decided to limit how far back you could accrue past service. So past service being similar to the concept of unused room on your notice of assessment. We essentially asked the question, what would the IPP look like had you set it up when you started your company? So you used to be able to kind of take that back to the beginning of time. If you started a company in the 1950s, you could accrue service back from the 1950s. They limited that to 1991. Will they do that again sometime in the future? Maybe. But I'd say that that's not a huge impact on IPPs. RCAs, there were some loopholes up until 2012. Those were closed. I would argue that closing those loopholes improved the integrity of the RCA. So we don't see a lot of major changes happening going forward. Well, it was funny to me, like, why they choose 1991? I mean, other than the fact that I graduated high school in 1991, I'm not sure if there's a link there, becoming an <laughs> age of majority, but... That was probably it. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, 1991 was a big year for pension reform, and they decided in 2011 that'd be a good year to peg it to. So they happened to be conveniently 20 years back. Interesting. Well, hey, listen, just for fun, can you share like a real life example without obviously naming names or circumstances, but just give an example of the benefit, who would go into an IPP and what they would expect from it and versus an RCA. I know you've been talking about it, but can you just give us a real life example? I'll give you a real life example here. I'll give you one for each. So for the IPP, we've got a case study where we have a family business that sets up the IPP. Now, a lot of the time when 
we think about IPPs, we think, okay, it's got to be an affluent business owner or a PC. So doctor, dentist, lawyer, there's a lot like the IPP applies to any business owner. We like to give an example of a farm. So IPPs can be set up for farmers. So we have an example where mom and dad and the kids are set up on the IPP. So mom and dad are in their 60s. They're getting close to retirement and the kids are in their mid 30s and they're just getting added to the IPP. If they set up the IPP, all four members in year one alone would be able to put about $100,000 into an RRSP. With the IPP in the example that we have, and I can share this with you if anybody would like to see the numbers after, but $900,000 can go into the IPP versus that $100,000 that can go into the RRSP in year one alone. Wow. And then every year thereafter, we've got about a $50,000 difference between IPP and RRSP over a 10-year period. So over that 10-year period, excluding year one, it's about $50,000 more on average that can go into the IPP versus the RRSP. At the end of that 10-year period that we use for this example, we have the difference of about $6 million that they would have been able to put into an RRSP versus $8 million that can go into the IPP over a 10-year period. That's not too shabby. And this also, I don't think we talked about this earlier, but another benefit of the IPP is this estate planning benefit. So if you have mom and dad and the kids, let's say, on the same IPP, and mom and dad decide to start drawing down their pension, and they pass away after they started drawing down, well, there's no taxable disposition on death of the last parent. That money doesn't have to go through the estate because there's still members inside this defined benefit pension plan. So that money stays there for the kids. So not only do we have $2 million more in retirement assets, but that money is staying there for the kids until they decide they want to retire. And then they start drawing down and paying tax on their income, but they don't lose roughly half of it to the estate. That's a huge benefit for family businesses. So with the RCA, a good example of that that happened a couple of years ago here in Alberta, we had an executive who was let go. They got a sizable severance package. One of the features of the RCA is you pay tax in the jurisdiction that you withdraw the money from it. So let's say you live in BC right now and you've got a 53 plus percent tax bracket and you move to Alberta with a 48% tax bracket at the highest margin. You're saving over 5% in tax right there. But this individual had a place in the US in a state that has no state tax. So they collapsed their RCA in the US. They had a big severance go into it. They took it down to the US, collapsed it, paid a withholding tax to the Canadian government, 25%. That acted as a credit against US federal tax. There was no state tax where they went. They saved $6 million off their tax bill. Oh, geez. So wow. a lot of folks get caught up with that refundable tax account with the RCA, rightfully so. But when we look past that, we see some huge, huge benefit. You bet. Well, anything else to wrap up our little discussion on IPPs and RCAs that we should be aware of? If you'd like to receive an illustration to see what an IPP or an RCA can look like for you, reach out to Colin and Greg and their team. They've got access to our illustrator. We work very closely with them. They've got expertise in setting up these plans. Other than that, I mean, the IPP is just, it's a better version of the RRSP for business owners and incorporated professionals. You can do an illustration. It's non-committal. It's just going to get you more. And like I said, with the IPP, you're going to get increased retirement savings, the corporate tax deductions that are more important these days, 
creditor protection and potentially the ability to pass money down to your kids without going through the estate. So that's just what I'd leave you with on the IPP. With the RCA, I talked about that $6 million savings. It's not always going to be that much for everybody, but you're going to save a significant amount of money with the RCA. It averages from 20 to 45% for the average person. Very significant. Thank you. We should finish with our speed round, Greg. Let's do that. So just for fun, Ryan, there's no right or wrong answers to these questions. You're off the hook. You got through the heavy lifting and this is just for fun. Greg, you want to start us off? Sure. I think you've alluded to this. We talked about this a little bit in our introduction, but what do you do for fun when you're not working? Jeez, that's a good question with COVID right now, but I used to enjoy traveling. We used to enjoy hosting friends. I'm involved with the Petroleum Club with the Scotch Society, so we're having a ton of fun with that right now. But yeah, and then spending time with my wife and son. Well, good for you. Cool. When you're spending time with your wife and son, what shows are you watching or binging? What are we watching right now? So we just finished The Witcher. We're watching Tacoma FD. Anybody who likes Super Troopers, it's a must watch. Oh, Super Troopers is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, you'll love this show. And then my wife's watching this show that makes her cry all the time. What is it? This is Us? Oh, yes. (laughs) I think everybody cries. Isn't that a show about like divorce or something? I stay away from it because I don't want to break down crying. But (laughs) (laughs) And just because you mentioned it, so just tell us a little bit about the Scotch program at the Petroleum Club that you run. Yeah, well, hey, we'd love to have you. So a few years ago, the Petroleum Club went through, I wouldn't say a rebrand, but a big renovation. And there was a big focus on building community within the club, especially among young professionals. So we decided to launch a few clubs within the Petroleum Club. I decided to launch the Scotch Club. So it's the Slangeva Scotch and other whiskey society. Slangeva being Gaelic for to your health. Five times a year, we have an event where we We'll have members come in and sample awesome whiskeys that you can't really find anywhere else with reps. And what was it? 2019, we imported our first exclusive cask from Scotland. 2020, we imported our second. This year, we're hoping to do a third. We might support a local company this year, just given COVID, but we're having a lot of fun with it. We were planning to start doing tours to Scotland and around Alberta and all that, but COVID put a little dent in that. Well, hopefully just a delay and not a cancellation. Absolutely. Well, let's just wrap up this section with other than free lunch, which is one of the top rated podcasts, I'm told. Any other podcasts that you're listening to these days? Not really. I mean, free lunch, it's kind of giving me all the information that I need. (laughs) (laughs) That's the correct answer. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Ryan, thanks again for your time today. We really appreciate it. And Definitely, if somebody's interested in looking at an illustration for an IPP or an RCA, they should come see you because I know that you guys do good work there and it can make a lot of sense for the right person. Absolutely. Thanks for being on, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. 
This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.